Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, Pastor Jim will start into the 11th chapter of the book of Mark. For the last few weeks, we've been saying that this was Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem, where he knew the crucifixion awaited him. And he'd even told his disciples, and though they were perplexed and afraid, they still did not understand what was about to transpire. Verses 1 through 11 in the 11th chapter of Mark's gospel seem to paint the picture of a celebration in the city as Jesus approached. This is the scene from which a tradition some call Palm Sunday has been derived. Like the disciples, though, while the people seem to be celebrating Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, they really didn't understand the true significance or what was about to transpire either. Pastor Jim will help us to understand this short celebration and how it set the stage for the people's demand to crucify him just a few days later. Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, Hosanna in the Highest. Some of them were misguided pseudo-believers. They would probably all not be opposed to the idea of calling Jesus the Messiah, but there was quite a spectrum of ideas of what that meant to probably the majority in this group. They were looking for a Messiah who was a long-awaited political revolutionary. They were following him up to Jerusalem with the expectation that he was going to uh, gather all of this positive publicity into leading a rebellion against Rome, and he was going to make Israel truly free for the first time in over 600 years. Now, of course, among this group, there were the apostles as well. They had the most training. They'd heard the most, seen the most, done the most about Jesus being the Messiah compared to anyone else. They knew he was their king. They were very loyal to him. Uh, they knew he was the one they loved and they wouldn't want to be away from him. But even they didn't fully yet understand what was about to happen. Even though Jesus had told them at least three different times, one we just studied recently in Mark 10, that he was going to be betrayed and arrested and tried and tortured and murdered and buried and resurrected. Even though he told them plainly, the apostles didn't understand it all until after Jesus rose from the dead. Any Old Testament believer could have known the prophecies, but they didn't know the distinction between a first coming and a second coming. One to die for sin, the other to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Now, from the way the things unfolded in the few days following our text for this morning, you're going to see that uh, as Jesus got closer to Jerusalem, the the crowd multiplied exponentially. Um, People probably, for the most part, just were going along with the crowd. They were maybe not understanding at all what was going on, but there was a, a crowd mentality that this is the excitement. 
They knew the routine of coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, and many probably had been there many times, but this was something really special. Now, file that thought for later chapters because there are many in this crowd who on this day are swept up in the excitement of proclaiming the glory of the King, but five days later, there's going to be a crowd equally swept up with the frenzy of shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him, just five days later. Now, I'm not going to say that everybody that was shouting Hosanna at the triumphal entry was shouting crucify Him five days later, but certainly the tide turned. The number of true believers in this group was relatively very small. Let that sink in. Jesus had ministered to thousands during His ministry. But think about it, when the day of Pentecost comes after the resurrection, how many people are there with the apostles? A hundred and twenty. That's all. So it's a big crowd, but not all of common faith. Now, there was one common idea that tied together all the different factions within this crowd. They had many perspectives about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, but they were all for the kingdom. Uh, A lot of them thought it was going to be a political kingdom and didn't understand the idea of a spiritual kingdom, but they were all zealous to some extent about the kingdom of the Messiah. Many, probably most, were hoping for a political hero. Many were infatuated with how captivating Jesus was. Maybe they had heard him speak on one of his previous visits to Jerusalem. Maybe they'd been up in Galilee, possibly even heard something like the the Sermon on the Mount. Few understood what needed to happen, but the excitement and the anticipation was electrifying on this day. Now, in Luke's description of that trip up the winding road from Jericho to Jerusalem, we read something very significant. Look at it in Luke chapter 19 and verse 11. It says, and while they were listening to these things, those are things that Jesus was teaching on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem. It says, he went on to tell a parable for a specific reason. Because he was near Jerusalem and they this crowd, supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. That was the mindset. Now, that doesn't mean that they understood anywhere near what they should have understood or what they could have understood about the kingdom, but I mention that to make sure you understand that they were primed to welcome a king. That's what they were all about. That's the mindset of that crowd as we come to Mark 11. Now, the parable that Luke 19.11 refers to is cleverly placed starting in Luke 19.12. You can go look at it on your own. It's Luke 19.12 through 27. It's about a nobleman who went off to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return, kind of like Jesus ascending to the Father and coming back as the glorious King. 
this nobleman entrusted his wealth to slaves, and then he, he settled up with them when he returned much later. And the point of the parable in its context is the kingdom of God would not appear immediately. They supposed it would. So there was that hurdle to get over. The parable teaches there's going to be a long period of time while the king is absent and we who are citizens of his kingdom are entrusted with his business. Now, to Mark 11, 1 through 11. Jesus' arrival at Jerusalem is momentous. It was not as it appeared to most people, but God's sovereign plan was fully engaged. So here we go. We're going to title it, Hosanna in the Highest. Now, when I grow up, I, I want to be a Baptist, so I've got a double alliterated three-point outline. You can't do any better than that. You're going to see in these 11 verses, sovereign provision, shouted praises, and then the one I'm really proud of, shrouded portent. If you have to look up two words, get over it. Look them up. They're really good. That's a great point in the outline. Number one, sovereign provision. Look at the beginning of verse 1, and we'll paint the picture for you. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives. Now, I need you to picture it in your mind. Jerusalem sits basically on the top of a mountain. Not as much a mountain as a promontory. There's, you can enter Jerusalem on flatland from the north, but to the, to the east, to the west, and to the south, it's a, it's a drop-off. So it, it sits out there uh, very prominently. The highest point in the city of Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. If you leave Jerusalem to the east, you descend immediately into a, a sharp V-shaped valley called the Kidron Valley. If you leave from the east, go down that side of the valley, climb up the eastern slope of the Kidron Valley, you come to the top of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is just a little higher than the Temple Mount. From there, you have a great view of Jerusalem. I got to stand there last November and talk about all the things that were related biblically to the Mount of Olives, including this event and Jesus arriving via coming around the, the Mount of Olives. And when you see pictures of uh, photographs of uh, the city of Jerusalem, they're almost always taken from the Mount of Olives because that's where you get the best view. Well, Jesus approached Jerusalem from the east. Jericho is down the hill to the east. That brought him to the little town of Bethany. There was actually a little town of Bethany, not only a little town of Bethlehem. Uh, Bethany is on the, if you will, from Jerusalem. It's on the backside of the Mount of Olives, around the Mount of Olives. It's just two miles from Jerusalem. If you take the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, you pass through Bethany. That was the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead just a few weeks before this. Now, Bethphage is a small village somewhere on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. We don't know anything else about it except that it was on the way from Bethany to Jerusalem. 
If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.